Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Paintful Truth, a weekly text and audio journal about Christian truth, life and ministry. And this week's edition, written over the recent Easter weekend, is a reflection on the strange counterintuitive wisdom of the cross. I've been living in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians an awful lot over the past three years, and it's made me realise two things. First, that I've been living in Corinth for most of my life. And second, with God's help, I hope to live a Corinthian life till I die. I've lived so long in Sydney now, I can hardly remember what a shock it was to arrive here as a, an uncomplicated country boy, I guess I was, in my late teens. And to arrive in Sydney, brash, beautiful, vibrant Sydney with its abundance of natural gifts, its melting pot of cultures, its love of money and real estate. People talk of little else, it seems. Its status anxiety, its rampant polyvalent sexuality. A city as much like ancient Corinth, I guess, as any modern city is likely to be. And just as churches in Sydney cannot help but be corrupted by the characteristic sins of this place, Perhaps materialism and, and status-seeking would be on the list. So the Church of God in Corinth struggled to escape the gravitational corruption of its civic culture. And to that church, the Apostle writes the masterpiece that we call 1 Corinthians. And in it, he skewers the sins and pretensions of Corinthian culture, especially its, its arrogant pride and obsession with status. But at the same time, he describes and commends the radical alternative culture that the immature Corinthian Christians really should have grasped by now and should be living out. And they should have understood it and embraced it, that new culture of Christ, because it is simply the outworking, the everyday outworking of the most important thing the apostle ever told them. The message that he passed on to them as of first importance as he puts it in chapter 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Or, as he puts it in the little two-word summary of his entire message, Christ crucified. Now, what the Corinthians had not grasped was that this event, a twin event, I guess you'd call it, Christ crucified, the death and resurrection of the Christ, this was not only the stupendous truth that had brought them righteousness and sanctification and redemption and justification in Jesus. The truth of the cross also laid out the entire shape and course of their lives. It was their wisdom, a wisdom from God that proud, worldly Corinth could only regard as foolish and weak. And part of the genius of 1 Corinthians is that the letter teaches this wisdom in its very structure, in its whole shape. The shape of the Christian life is the shape of 1 Corinthians. It starts with the foundation of the cross and its stunning reversal of all our previous cultural values and narratives. That's chapters 1 to 4. It then proceeds through all the different challenges and issues that we face as a church of God in our particular context. That's chapters 5 to 14. And then it concludes with the resurrection which guarantees the Corinthians' own resurrection and our own resurrection 
on that last day when the trumpet shall sound. And as each of the issues is dealt with in those middle chapters, whether it's factionalism or sexual immorality in the church or marriage or how they are to behave in their church gatherings, the answer is always the wisdom of the cross as it awaits the resurrection. The confounding, counterintuitive wisdom of the cross, which turns upside down all the worldly values and cultural narratives of Corinth and of Sydney and and of every city. That's the wisdom that now teaches them to make judgments about all things, as Paul puts it in chapter 2. So, for example, if God chose to save us by the seemingly weak and stupid message of the cross, so that there could be no boasting except in the Lord and in his power to save, how could we be so juvenile as to boast in individual teachers or leaders to be impressed by them, to factionalise around them. That's the message of chapters 3 and 4. And if God has cleansed and redeemed and justified us for himself at the cross, how could we think of reintroducing into our lives the old leaven, as he calls it, of adultery and greed and sexual immorality and all the other sins of our former Corinthian selves? That's chapters 5 and 6. And if Christ laid down his life in sacrifice for us, how could we do anything but sacrifice our own preferences and our own lives for the sake of the salvation of others? That's the message of chapters 9 and 10. And if the heartbeat of the cross is self-denying, other-person-oriented love, if love is the prime and first description of the Christian life, the thing that abides. How could we use our gifts in church for self-expression in our arrogance or for personal status rather than using them and seeking them for the advantage and edification of others? That's chapters 12 to 14. At every point, this is the Corinthian life, the new Corinthian life, a life lived in the wisdom of the cross as it awaits resurrection, the life I certainly hope to keep living by God's grace in the particular Corinth in which God has placed me. I've been writing this week's Painful Truth in the midst of the strange post-apocalyptic Easter that we've all been experiencing with its deserted streets and parks and churches. And it occurs to me that the new life that Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians is like a life lived on Easter Eve. Easter Eve is what the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Day is properly called. Easter Saturday is the Saturday after Easter, in case you didn't know that. Easter Eve, which is a bit of a nothing day for most of us, is the day that looks back to the cross and forward to the resurrection. And that's the day in which we now live, whether we're in Corinth or Sydney or anywhere else, a life lived by the wisdom of the cross a life that runs quite counter to the narratives and the wisdom, so-called, of our city, a life that looks eagerly forward to the next day that is coming, the day when the trumpet shall sound and the perishable shall take on the imperishable. A short PS. As I was writing this week's post, I was tempted, I have to say, to explore exactly how the particular sins of Sydney, where I live, penetrate and weaken our Sydney churches. But I thought better of it. 
making generalizations about what is wrong with our churches. It's a popular armchair sport, and I've engaged in it myself at various points. But like most armchair sports, it has a tenuous connection with the action, I think. We shout at the screen, but usually we don't have a great deal of knowledge about what is really happening on the field, what pressures and difficulties the players are actually under, and what solutions would really help them. Every church has its own culture, its own subculture, influenced by the subculture of its suburb and its members and its network, its own besetting sins, its own challenge to live out the wisdom of the cross. I thought it was better to leave each of us as individuals and as churches to reflect on how the wisdom of the cross challenges our immaturity. Well, that's all for this edition of The Painful Truth. Thanks for being with me, and thank you for subscribing, the many of you who have, over at thepainfultruth.substack.com. I've just hit my first subscriber milestone and ahead of schedule, according to my own planning anyway. If you haven't yet signed up to get The Painful Truth emailed to you every week, then take a second to do so. You can do that at thepainfultruth.substack.com, where you can also see all the previous posts and read or listen to them as well. Well, that's all for this week's edition. Thanks for being with me. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.